so I think first of all, passion is for losers. Really? Yeah, the winners have obsession. So you have to find yourself, what are you obsessed about? What is it that you go to sleep thinking about solving? And when you, do you jump out of the bed in the morning thinking, God, I got to solve this problem. In the way you need, there are two ways to find that out, what your true obsession is. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the I'm Made For More podcast. It's your host Ennis here, and today's guest is a special one. He's a serial entrepreneur, philanthropist, self-made billionaire who came to the United States with only $5 in his pockets. It's the one and only Naveen Jain. In this interview, Naveen and I talk about life, business, and how he tackles the world's largest problems including making chronic disease an option. Now, without further ado, enjoy this powerful interview with none other than Naveen Jain. Naveen, thank you for taking the time today. And it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I just, I just said, I'm looking forward to this thing for a long time. Absolutely. So uh, before we get started, Naveen, uh, one of the things I like to do on the show is ease our way into things uh, with an icebreaker uh, questions. Is that all right? You can ask me anything you want, bro. So the first one is, what's your favorite app on your phone? Oh my God. Uh, you know, I, every day uh, news, probably some news app. I just, you know, that's one thing I do. And I also use uh, Twitter uh, for actually for scientific research. So what I've done is that as opposed to I'm following people, what I do is I follow all the scientific journals. And I, when I wake up in the morning, I have created the list of the feeds for say microbiome and for uh, neuroscience. And I think each of the feed by that time in the morning, I go through them. I know every single breakthrough that has happened. Uh, the night before. So I literally go through hundreds of scientific papers in different areas. And that gives me actually what, what, what are the, where the science is in the lab, where it is going. So it gives me a chance to think about and say, if this really starts to happen, how would that, what problem can be now be solved if this was going to happen? Wow. So you're always thinking ahead. You're always thinking about like all the news that's happening and how that can be applied in the future. And what problem can you solve? I mean, if this, if this scientific research is actually a breakthrough, then what problems can now be solved that couldn't be solved before? Right. Wow. Okay. Second one, are you an early bird or a night owl? Uh, absolutely an early bird. I get up generally about 4, 4.30 a.m. every single day. So that's, I think, has been, uh, I think most people, I think, uh, you know, in general, I think people who love to eat, they tend to get up early. Yeah. How, how long have you been uh, waking up that early? I would say probably at least 20 years. Really? Okay. Yeah, you wow. probably won't know what 20 years feels like, right? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> there almost, right? All right, so favorite word in the dictionary. Your favorite word in the dictionary. Imagine. Because that's really, really something is allows you to open up the world to a possibility. The other word that I really like is what if, what if that was possible, right? So I think the what if and imagine are just so powerful. It allows you to take all your preconceived ideas, take your belief system and set it aside and really you can rethink and say what is possible. I love it. Okay. Favorite personal possession. God, I mean, you know, in some sense, I really don't get attached to uh, anything in, in general in terms of physical possession. And if I were to just look at overall the gratitude and the satisfaction and what I feel the most proud of, 
uh, I would say we are children. I mean, I think they just are, you know, grown up to be just these amazing, amazing kids going out and really going, uh, you know, helping the world be a better place. You know, whether it is our oldest son now looking at affordable housing, affordable childcare, affordable senior care, our daughter who is working on AI to remove the gender bias, our son who is now a Schwarzman scholar. I mean, every one of them is going out and doing things that were just absolutely beyond any imagination. So I'm just, if you were to ask me, what am I really proud that I have achieved in life, that's probably what it would be. Physical possession, in all honesty, is you, you feel happy for that 30 second when you hold it, you get it and you touch it. And after that, it's just, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and I really think that's a part of the things, I think even in the Eastern philosophy, it is the act of wanting it and then having it. It's just, you think when you get something, it's gonna make you happy. And I really think most people forget the happiness is always inside you. There is nothing or no one. If you really rely on something or someone to make you happy, what you have really done is you become addicted to something and that actually lies outside you. And the worst case is you're given the remote control of your happiness to someone. So they decide happy, unhappy, happy, unhappy. If you are happy with who you are as a person, you could be in the darkest corner and you would be a happy man. And if you carry the unhappiness with you, you could be sitting in a paradise and you still be unhappy. So my point is, it is that, you know, you can't, something or someone can't make you happy. You can share your happiness with someone, but they, they can't be the source of happiness for you. I know you're a native of India. You know, what, what parts of, of India did you grow up in, first of all? We didn't really have a part we grew up. We literally moved every, you know, every six months, nine months a year. We, we moved from village to village and we really didn't have a place we called home. So the thing that really what I learned in life was the change become, became so comfortable. Today, most people become uncomfortable with the change. When change happens, they get, you know, to some extent out of their comfort zone. And to me, living life where you had to move all the time, it, it change was really nothing. To me, a change became a part of life. And I think that's the reason when you start a company or you do anything, you no longer worry about a change. You no longer worry about what happens. And to large extent, expecting that things will go wrong. So I think the expectations in life is one of the biggest source of dissatisfaction. It is the biggest source of unhappiness that we get because we expect something, whether it is from our partner, from our friends or from uh, you know, the business. When you start to expect something and if it doesn't happen, then you feel dissatisfied. And to me, it is if you expect the life of an entrepreneur is always going to be that ups and downs that they talk about. The life of an entrepreneur is about, up, you know, the heart, like a heartbeat. It goes up and down. When you are down, you just have to hunker down knowing the next beat is going to be up. And the trick in life is when you on top of that beat, never get too cocky because you should know the winter is coming and winter shall come. And so that means you never want to get so to your success that when the things fall apart, then you suddenly say, oh my God. The fact is you never had anything to begin with. So what have you lost, right? So my point is that attachment for the things you somehow temporarily believe you have or the attachment of think thinking that 
your happiness will come when you have this financial resource. Your happiness will come from something else. Or knowing that when you're on top, the things you are now at the top of the world and things will never go back and just know they do and they will. And I think to me, that is the key to life is really is, is being happy with who you are and know that if even if you get, uh, you know, get the financial success, you are at that point, nothing but a trustee of a God's kindness. If you don't use that financial success to do what he wants you to do or she wants you to do or the God wants you to do, that means if you don't go out and help the humanity in any way, then God takes that away and say, you're not a good trustee. Let's give it to someone who's going to better use. And that to me is is that we never own anything. We're going to die with nothing. We are born with nothing. And in between, you're simply a trustee of his kindness. And that's how you should look at life. Yeah. And at what point did you learn that? Has there ever been an experience where you were at an all-time high and then maybe you felt like you had it all and then you didn't see that winter was coming? Like, Or did you always know that? Or But you see, Eastern, I mean, that's really is, you know, to a large extent, you know, you grow up in Eastern philosophy and the Eastern religion. That's part of every religion, I think, uh, even Jewish religion. And I think even Christians, I mean, every religion tells you that simply about your life here is to do good in the world. And when you forget that particular part, that you are here to do good, and when you don't, then you constantly are suffering because you're constantly chasing something that doesn't belong to you. And it doesn't matter how much you have, you're always unhappy because there's always someone who has more than you. And you know, we can go through about life, lessons of life is that it's not about, you know, a lot of people talk about being an optimist or a pessimist is the glass half empty or half full. And I have always felt that that's such a dumb question to be thinking about is the glass half empty or half full the only question you should really ask yourself is glass worth filling and if the glass is worth filling do you really care is half empty or half full and if if it's not worth filling, do you really care if it's half empty or half full? So my point is, it, what matters is, what is it that you want the world to be, not what the world is? And that to be the trick of success in life is, focus on what you want the world to be, not what the world is. Other thing is, as entrepreneurs, we always tend to uh, focus on have, wanting to know the right answer. And what I learned right. in life is, it is about asking the right question, not about having the right answer. And I think that is a key to starting something is that just because you don't know how to solve it or what the right answer is, doesn't mean you're not the right person. Right, right, right. So the quality of the questions you ask um, or the quality of your life is, is based off of the quality of the questions you ask, right? Yes, yes. So how can one become better at asking questions, the right questions? Yeah, I think one thing is not to uh, really be an expert in the field, in the problem you're trying to solve. Because once you become an expert, the question you ask are always very tactical. What if, because you know this will not, I know the foundational knowledge and you can never challenge that foundational knowledge. That means you tend to always look for a solution before you ask a problem because you're an expert, right? If, when you talk to a non-expert, he doesn't know that or she doesn't know what is possible. So what do they say? Why can't we do it this way? And expert's job is to tell you that will never work, right? And when you say, tell me why that will never work. And they start to explain. They say, you know what? Now coming to think of it, it might work. And then you say, can you explain it to me? Why do you think it just might work? And hmm. guess what? In 30 minutes later, they want to come to a conclusion and say, holy shit, that's a great idea. 
and that to me is really the <laughs> is that when you can ask the questions and not have to say I have to look smart, and that is the key. As an entrepreneur, your job is to ask the dumbest question: Why can't we do it this way? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? And then push them along to say, explain it to me. And the more they explain, either you understand why it can't be done, or you say, wait a sec. I just read a research that this actually is not possible. So your knowledge is 10 years old. Just because it didn't work 10 years ago doesn't mean it won't work now. Let's go ahead and attack it. You know, I have now started seven companies and they have never been two companies in the same industry. And the reason for that is because you're able to challenge the foundation. And that doesn't matter to me as an entrepreneur, whether you are going to the moon. I'm not a rocket scientist. When I started the computer company, I, I've never seen a computer in my life. I'm not a computer scientist. I might think he's an industrial engineering. What do I know about computers, right? And now I'm doing healthcare. What do I know about healthcare? Except that the problem of chronic diseases can be solved because it's worth solving. And then you can build a team around you to help you, but you don't have to be an expert in that field. So I want to talk about Moon Express a little bit. What inspired you to, to start Moon Express and wanting to go to the moon? It's never about going to the moon. I mean, to me, going to the moon is symbolic of what individuals and a small group are capable of doing. So to me, going to the moon is showing that an entrepreneur can achieve things that only the superpowers could do before. And that is mm -hmm. the key is that showing that a small, you know, only three superpowers have ever landed on the moon successfully. And now if as a small private company, you can land on the moon, suddenly you become the fourth superpower. Because as humans, we need someone to show us what is possible. And once you do that, there'll be a lot of people who will not only do that, they'll go way beyond that, right? So as you remember, Roger Bannister, until he came along and he showed that people could run a mile under four minutes. People thought if you ran a mile under four minutes, the human body will absolutely implode into pieces, right? People right. used to think that in olden days, if you go back and read, they thought that trains and buses, all these things will kill people because the human body is not designed to go at that speed. The body will disintegrate into pieces if somebody could go at that speed, right? And that's literally, once Roger Bannister did that, guess what happened? 13 more people actually broke the record next year. It is just what it, so point is, if entrepreneurs can show that you can now land on the moon like a superpower, there is gonna be someone else who's gonna come along and say, that's a baby step. We can go to the Mars, we can go to the Pluto, we can go to intergalactic travel. My point is, suddenly everything starts to become possible. And that to me is a key. So, so uh, help me understand, how can we humans live on the, on the moon? It's about the same thing about how can we live on Earth? I mean, it is why do you think that uh, we can live on Earth and we can't live on the moon? It is simply about training our mind to the possible. Now, would we have to look like we look like today to live on the moon? Probably not. If the gravity is really, you know, substantially less on the moon, do we still need all those bone structure? The answer is probably not, right? So you don't have to have this massive underlying bone infrastructure that we have to live on a gravity. When the gravity is less, our bone mass doesn't have to be as much. And that's the reason when people come back from, even from a space station, they have to be carried on stretcher because they really have lost a lot of the bone mass. So my point is we will adapt and live. I mean, just like think of it, 
when the bacteria can survive in the radioactive nuclear waste. Why is that? Right. Because they evolve to use the radiation as a source of energy. So not only they can protect themselves in the high radiation, they can also use radiation as a source of energy, right? Now, what stops us from taking that genetic material using CRISPR to modify ourselves. And suddenly we can be not only radiation resistant, we say, honey, do you want to go for a walk and get some radiation, right? That's our nutrition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when, when do you think um, we will be able to, you know, book a ticket to go to the moon? Well, I think it is going to be in the, you know, within the next decade. I think there are going to really? be people living on the moon and people will have a baby born on the moon. So there is just no two really? ways about it. In the next decade, we're going to have uh, that happen. You know, that's just a part of the things, right? So the idea is how do you take these massive problems and how do you go build not only a business around it, but also continue to focus and think if you are successful, how would that change the way people live their life? How would it change the trajectory of how humanity is going to live. And as you know, then I started the second business for the same reasons, the Wyom, which was the fundamentally with a simple belief, what if we can create a world where being sick is purely a matter of choice, not a matter of bad luck. Now, and again, it is, why is it that we would develop? I mean, you know, it's a hard thing to say in the, you know, currently we're living on this idea of this epidemic of these infectious diseases, but set that aside. I mean, this is the first pandemic we have had in 100 years, right? Right. Point is, it happens every 100 years, Spanish flu in 1918, right? So point is, as a humanity, we have done a really decent job of taking care of infectious diseases. Now, imagine 90% of our people suffer from chronic diseases. And when I say chronic diseases, I mean obesity, diabetes, depression. Anxiety, uh, autoimmune diseases, cancer, Alzheimer. I mean, you name these, we name these diseases, right? But the point is, ultimately, there is no reason. So people talk about, oh, my genetics. What is really interesting, I find, is again, not being an expert, that was my first question. Think about it. When you have a certain genes that you get from your mom and dad, right? When mm -hmm. you're born with them, and they don't change when you gain 100 pounds. So you can do your genetic test before, you get 100 pounds, and after you get 100 pounds. Has your genes changed? Have your DNA changed? Answer is no. Now, you get depression. Has your DNA changed? No. Now you got autoimmune disease. Have DNA changed? No. You get diabetes. You get your heart disease. Your DNA does not change. So how can you possibly blame that my genes are the ones that are causing it because genes haven't changed? Right. Huh. That's an interesting way of looking at it, yeah. Right. So my point is your DNA is not changing so how can we blame DNA that we have been so fascinated by this DNA and that we didn't realize? And now coming from a completely outside the field, I say, wait a sec, people who have chronic diseases, do their DNA change? No. Then why are we constantly looking at DNA to figure out what is causing them because they don't change? So what does change is your expression of the genes are constantly changing. So I said, why don't we look at the gene expression? And that was the key for breakthrough for us was saying, hey, why can't we really understand gene expression? And I started to look at that thing. And at that point, I didn't know anything about this thing. So I am the first guy who just information junkie. So I start reading. I say, how do you measure gene expression? Where are all the gene expressions are coming from? And it turns out that human body, the less than 22,000 genes are expressed that are protein coding genes that come from our mom and dad. Now, 
over about 2 million to 20 million genes are expressed from the 40 trillion microbes that reside inside our gut. Think about it for a second. 40 trillion microbes live inside our gut. And if people say, what is 40 trillion? Now imagine on earth, we're going to have give or take 8 billion people. Even if you had 5,000 earth and all those human beings live inside you, just each, each one of us, right? That really is how massive those are, right? And these, they are constantly expressing themselves and we are in that symbiotic relationship with them. What really happened was in the early days when we didn't realize and we were getting infections, right? And so until the antibiotics came about, we realized these bacteria and viruses were our enemy and we waged the war against them through antibiotics and stuff. Without realizing when you do that, you kill these 40 trillion microbes inside you and that started this whole epidemic of these chronic diseases, right? Right. our thought was, what if you can understand <clears throat> what is going on inside your gut? And what if you can use the food as medicine to be able to bring back the balance so that as symbiotic relationship, we feed them what they need and in turn, they feed us the nutrient our body needs. So if you think about how we evolved, you know, we evolved together in some sense was in this symbiotic relationship. It's not a parasitic relationship. We right. feed them and they feed us. And one could argue that, you know, uh, you know, that they may have created us so that they can essentially live with us as one and both benefit each other. And so that really is how humans evolved in the bacterial world. I mean, think about it. these bacteria and viruses evolved three and a half billion years ago. Humans are only give or take a couple of hundred thousand years old phenomena. So we live in their world. They don't live in our world. They are trillions more than us, right? We literally are living Mm -hmm. in their world altogether. So my point I'm trying to make is that now all these people say, wait a second, that is just such a breakthrough ideas. And I keep thinking, go back and look at whether you look at the Ayurveda 5,000 years ago, or you look at much more modern medicine doctor like Hippocrates. What did he say? All diseases begin in the gut. One yeah. man's food is another man's poison. Let food be thy medicine. Let thy medicine be the food. Now, mm-hmm. it is not a new rocket science. All we have done is now scientifically understand exactly what is going on. So basically, what we coming back to exponential technologies now allow us to look at a molecular level what is happening in our body. Right, and once right. we do that, we are able to adjust that molecular thing simply using the food as a nutrient. And when we do that, right. we can now find the body back in balance so you know so for example with Wyom, we started with the gut testing and now within the few weeks we are launching the blood so we're by yeah. looking at your yeah. blood we can now look at your mitochondrial gene expression your blood cell gene expression yeah. all your inflammation marker every single thing that going on the body and then we look at your saliva with oral microbiome because there is a whole bunch of microbiome in your mouth and here's what interesting thing i was going to tell you that we just filed with fda last week where we are able to detect stage one oral cancer with 91% accuracy just by looking at the microbial activities in your saliva. That's it. Wow. How do you do that though? Like Just simply saliva and we basically RNA sequence the saliva and then we say we have a signature of what changes in the microbes when you get oral cancer. And we can predict that you have oral cancer by simply looking at that. And by the way, we did the same thing. We have the same signature by looking at your gut microbiome we can now tell you 
you're about to be getting depression. So we have predictive wow. signature for depression, diabetes, obesity, IBS. And we are now wow. doing 15 clinical trials. We announced a clinical trial with Mayo Clinic where we're looking at obesity and insomnia. We are working with Kaiser on diabetes. We are working with United Healthcare Group on diabetes, on IBD. We are working with Vent Health uh, on depression and anxiety. And these are the trials to show simply how all these chronic diseases simply can be changed. So what we do is we look at your body and we tell you, here are the foods you should avoid and why, more importantly, mm -hmm. why for right. you that food is bad. Here are the foods you should eat and why, because then we tell you exactly what nutrients you need. And here's the thing I'm gonna announce, I haven't even talked about it. In the next few weeks, we're gonna launch a precision concentrated superfoods in a pill pack. That means everything wow. that your body need only for you on demand done one pill just for you. So everything that your body needs is going to be packaged into those pills and you will get them on demand just for you. And that will never be mass produced. I have a quick question. So we talk about space travel and you seem super passionate. We talk about healthcare, you're just super passionate. And you mentioned that you had like seven businesses all in different industries. Do you just look for like problems to solve? The reason why I'm asking is, you know, for that, you know, 23, 24 year old has a job, wants to start a business. They just don't know what they're truly passionate about, right? I guess like my question is, how are you so passionate about different like industries and you know what I mean? It, like, is it just the problems, the bigger the problem, you're just passionate about solving problems or what is it? So I think first of all, passion is for losers. Really? Yeah, the winners have obsession. So you have to find yourself, what are you obsessed about? What is it that you go to sleep thinking about solving? And when you, do you jump out of the bed in the morning thinking, God, I got to solve this problem. In the way you need, there are two ways to find that out, what your true obsession is. Ask yourself, what are you willing to die for? And then live for it, right? And the second thing is really more interesting is, ask yourself that if you had everything you want in your life, you had a billion dollars, you had a loving wife, you had a loving family, you have everything you want in your life, what would you do? And if you do that today, you will get everything you want. So work, work backwards, uh, start with the end in mind and, and reverse engineer it. To me, you have to really, the only way you can succeed in business is you have to be truly obsessed about that. You know, I jump out of the bed every day at 4 a.m. because I just say, oh my God, you're giving me so much to live for, right? And it's, I'm never, by the way, I'm never obsessed about, I'm only obsessed about solving that problem. And when I solve that problem, I move on to the next thing, right? So I am now, you saw space and healthcare. Now, guess what? Once I solve this problem, I'm going to be equally obsessed about the next problem, which is maybe agriculture. Because why is it that we have to use the pesticide and insecticide to grow the food? Because at the end of the day, if you can adjust the microbiome of the soil, which is the gut of the soil, then these microbes will gather the pathogen. And that's how we used to always did agriculture, that right. have a rich microbial soil and you never need any, any insecticide or pesticide. So my point is, you can look at all these, pro the problem, by the way, you don't think you have to be a genius or a crystal ball to say, oh, I think I have a great idea. You go look at the stuff and say, what are the biggest problems? Here are the biggest opportunities. <laughs>
Well, there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. For more inspiration, go follow Naveen at Naveen Jane CEO. And until the next time, dream big because you, my friend, are made for more.